This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio Writing Project. OWP supports teachers from all over Ohio and celebrates the professionalism, expertise, and talent of our state's educators. Ohio Writing Project, teachers teaching teachers. Answers, a production of the Ohio Writing Project. My name is Noah Waspy, and today I'm bringing you the second part of a conversation I had with Beth Reimer. And you know, we weren't sure if we were going to release this one because it was just really raw, and I don't know, it was a different kind of episode. But as we listened back and did some editing, there was some really good stuff in here, and I'll get to that in a second. But first, a poem. This one is called in quiet moments, and it's by Amy Ludwig Vanderwater. Little Mouse thinks in her little mouse mind, a memory is a painting that you hang inside your heart. When Little Mouse visits the museum of her heart, she lingers by the painting of the nest where she was born. The title of this painting is Warm Milk and Tiny Squeaks. So, okay, this conversation was tricky because we were really trying to untangle a very, very complicated problem. And that problem is, what is going to happen if teaching doesn't make the progress that we hoped it would when the pandemic first started? You know, like when the pandemic first hit, we were all banded together. We were all being vulnerable and trying new things. And professional learning communities were thriving in ways that maybe we wouldn't have expected, right? And now here we are another year back in the classroom, and it's a fear that a lot of teachers have right now that the progress that this pandemic reset promised us, it might be starting to revert. It might be starting to regress. So we started talking about this in the last episode where we thought, rethought the idea of learning loss and rethought the, the mindset that we can bring to this year of teaching. And in this episode, we really dug into the struggles and the reasons why it's so hard for us to do really good teaching, it, why it's so hard for other teachers to make the progress that we hoped we would make. And one answer could be bringing in really good professional development, like the Ohio Writing Project, for example, to your school. But the kind of professional development that really happens every day is where some of the biggest change occurs, right? The professional development that occurs when we are in our department meetings or PLCs is where the most potential for change is. But it's how do you be the kind of person that will affect change for the people that you're working with? And what we decided that it really comes down to is we have to figure out what we're going to hold on to, what we're going to let go of, and always remember that it has to start with some kind of empathy. You'll see what I mean as we get into the conversation. Now, before I throw to this episode, I want to really, really encourage you to stick around after the episode. If you usually like hit pause or exit out of the app um, after the interview's over and I start blathering on and doing the advertisement stuff at the end, don't do that this time because I'm going to be sharing a really cool professional development opportunity that a really wonderful person with the writing project Betsy Woods is doing in December. So stick around for that after the interview. 
All right, so here it is, my interview with Beth Reimer. Sometimes we teach in spaces that feel unsafe professionally. We, um, uh, we don't feel like we can say, I don't know. <laughs> we don't feel like we can say, there's not one right answer. Uh-huh. And even, you know, like the professional conversations in the world are fighting with each other about the right way uh-huh. to do something at that, as opposed to conversations of teachers saying, here's what I'm trying. Here's what I'm trying to do for students. Here's where they are. Can anybody help? And yeah. it's, it's such a different perspective that, um, I don't know how to make that safe, but it was somehow safe in the pandemic because we were all there yeah. trying to we figure embraced, it out. Mm-hmm. So at some point, one of the things that we wanted to do in our teacher communities and hold on to is how do we make it safe to have real conversations? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, like I mentioned, one of the reasons I love the writing project because that's how it started, right? It was teachers sitting around together saying, how do we teach writing better? Yeah. Like this isn't exactly working. And then always every summer and every summer institute across writing projects, teachers are sharing their practice and saying, here's something I do in my classroom. Sometimes it's an inquiry practice. Sometimes it's like, I'm trying to work this out. Sometimes it's like, this works. I'm gonna share it with you and we can figure out why it works together or you might wanna try it and modify it. Or I have no idea how to do this. So this is why I'm gonna bring this question to you all. And that that idea, and I think that's actually one of the reasons the writing project as a whole across the national network has stayed strong is because it's always grounded in this inquiry of trying to figure something out instead of trying to say this is the one way yeah to do something but that teachers and students are at the center of the work and mm-hmm. maybe in our schools if we can go back to that instead of putting curriculum at the center or instead of putting um some other kind of formula or structure at the center if teachers conversations and students were at the center things would be so different right yeah and i think we've got to get away from certain archetypes these are the ones that i needed i would have needed to get away from uh or that i still need to sometimes whenever we're in a learning committee community of any kind i think that we have to get away from either being the teacher that says that won't work with my kids and we need to get away from being the teacher that has to be the smartest person in the room um one thing that in Cornelius Miner's book, uh, we got this, that hit me was just, he is, he probably is the smartest person in any given room, but he's always open to doing whatever this, his school wants him to try to do. He says he'll always try it out. He always tries to stay open. And then he just collects information on whether it's working. <laughs> that inspired me a lot. And it changed, it was a big mindset change for me because of my ego. Um, but just being it back in that mindset, I think could be really useful. Because I was just going to say, it's an interesting kind of, be an interesting exercise to do together, right? Like of ourselves, like what gets in our way mm-hmm. of being able to, um, to be this, like be in an open community. Um, and are we, is it our own judgment? Is it of, of others and others' decisions? Is it our own, um, our own ego? Mm-hmm. Is it, um, is it that we've forgotten something? Is it that we haven't learned something yet? Like, who are we? Who are we in there? Um, and because like, 
it's an interesting interplay too. As you were talking, you know, I was thinking about my idea of core beliefs that I said I was really like reinforced during the pandemic because it's an interesting balance, right? Between a core belief and then trying new things around that core belief because mm -hmm. there's not one way in. There's multiple entries. There's multiple pathways to get to good teaching and learning. And then, um, but you have to have these core beliefs as your compass and then you can get there in lots of ways and you don't know the only way. And the way that worked for you in, you know, 2018 might not be the way that works in 2021. No. And it might not be the way that it's going to work in 2026. So we have to be able to keep like figuring out pathways in there. And I wonder what would happen if we named that like alter ego that gets in our way of ours. I think sometimes you start to believe something so fully that it's like, um, maybe it's a tunnel vision kind of idea. Mm -hmm. And you have to constantly kind of push yourself out of that, right? I mean, I believe so full fully in workshop and all, all the things that come with it mm -hmm. that I have to constantly like remind myself, well, there's this other thing that doesn't look like it's workshop, but can I, can I ask like, what's the benefit for that for some students? Yeah. So what's the benefit for that for some teachers? And they were, when that might balance me. So my, you know, yeah. my alter ego is somebody that's like, I'm, I'm picturing some kind of like hippie teacher that is like really stuck yeah. in this like place. And I have to remember that there's multiple um, pathways yeah, and let's also mention that I don't think that any teachers ever taught the perfect school year. Like we've never pitched the perfect game. And I don't think that any of us do everything um, as John Hattie best practices possible. I don't think that's possible actually. Like when I think about my best teacher that uh, inspired me to become a teacher, she didn't do writing workshop. Mm -hmm. um, she didn't do like, and she probably did have us do worksheets on things that shouldn't have been worksheet teaching, but it didn't matter because she was just so great of a person and she did other things that were so amazing that made me think about, oh, wow, I want to be a teacher so that I can have an experience like this and so I can share this with other, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think you have to be the perfect teacher and do everything according, we should always be trying. But I don't, I think we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace and we need to give our schools a little bit of grace. Well, also just to, it's not about doing everything perfectly. And also just to remember, Noah, that like, what does it mean to be a perfect teacher when we start to get ourselves stuck in a place like you must teach like, workshop or we must teach something this way exactly with a mentor text or, you know, like, mm -hmm. that might not always be true. Like, what is the core of teaching? And that's one of the things I was saying that came back to the pandemic was it's these relationships. Mm -hmm. It's this idea of, city, of teaching and not assigning. And there's lots of ways to teach. And it's, it's this idea of like, what do you really, what did we really learn about good teaching? Um, and it really wasn't just a structure that followed the same like five, 10, 15 minutes of time periods. Yeah. It's, it's so many more, it's so many other bigger things and other things. Mm -hmm. So and you My see, when we look at teacher research, action research, or actual like education, like using R and all that kind of stuff, research, um, you know, they're not all measuring toward the same objective. And like when I read John Hattie's stuff, not a knock, not knocking the work in any way, because it's really been helpful to me, but it's measuring achievement, but what is student achievement? Like, what really is it? Is it doing well on a test? Is it doing what you want to do in life? 
Is it doing better than you would have done if you hadn't been in school? Um, I think that it's it can become tricky when we start obsessing over things is what I'm saying. <laughs> or we start thinking one of those puzzle pieces is always more important or is is so much bigger or more important than the other because I think this is what's happening with the reading argument in the world mm-hmm. is that reading is complex. Sure. And guess what? Like learning your phonics and foundational skills is super important. And we should make sure students have all of the skills and the support to do that. And it is also important that they develop a love of reading in this literary literary community. And it is also important that I teach them some comp- that I teach them comprehension skills. And it is also important that I engage them. And all of these things go together in puzzle pieces. Mm-hmm. And when we only have when we leave one of those puzzle pieces out, our puzzle's incomplete. And when we only focus on one, we only get a corner of the picture, right? And so same thing about, about what is student success. Student success, there is a corner of the puzzle piece for me that is about can students write and am I helping them write a fluent paragraph where they get to share their thinking? Yeah. I want a student to be successful at that. I want them to write a complete sentence and I want them to do those things. Mm-hmm. And all those things actually like are a part of the puzzle so they can be successful in life. Mm-hmm. And all those things are part of the puzzle so they can um, make choices and have a voice in the world. All of those things go together. And when we only decide on one of them. That's where the real learning loss is. The other things that don't get taught. <laughs> right, right. So I wanted to steer back to the empathy thing just one more time. So it's impossible to answer. I'm just going to say that up front, right? And that idea of (laughs) empathy helps me know that. It's impossible to answer because Mm -hmm. every teacher is a human. (laughs) And we all are coming with stories of our own and trauma of our own and decisions of our own outside of school that help us make decisions that none of us will ever under know, right? Um, but I think that you hit on something about a survival mode, that the amount of things that we're asking teachers to do and do really well, um, good teaching takes, some t- takes time and it takes creation time outside of school and it takes time to gather resources and it takes time to, to set it up. And if I'm doing that for every single um, content Uh or I'm doing that every single day, that's, I also have a family and life and lots of other things that, that are going on in my world. And so I think there is a survival mode, which helps makes us turn to things that maybe we wouldn't turn to if we had more time. And so then time becomes a second reason. Um, There's a survival mode factor of just like mental load and then there's a time factor of we are, as teachers, we teach and we're on all day and we might have one break, right? And then um, there's any number of things we might be doing after school with, from volunteering to coaching to TBT meetings or PLCs or mm-hmm. going back to our families and various other things that are happening that there's just like a set amount of time. Yeah. And, that what, and the thing that's always been interesting about teaching is that it's that really, it's one of those professions that is in this really sweet spot of there is constant action all day long. You're moving, you're doing the thing all day long. You are just working all day long. You know, you don't have time. The joke is always like, I don't have time to go to the bathroom, that kind of thing. You eat your lunch very quickly. Um, you, 
it's not like you're gonna make phone calls in the middle of the day, the doctor's appointments and all those things. You're working, mm -hmm. but it's also a profession that needs think time mm -hmm. and processing time. A lot of professions that, that need think time, mm -hmm. that need processing time, that's actually built within their day, right? That is actually what the work is, is they get to think and process and plan yeah. and not be up on your feet or moving and working the whole time because you need that think time. But teaching does both of those at the same time, which is exhausting and beautiful. <laughs> and when that's so then when we have more, when we are trying to make that happen, and then we have more on top of us trying to also work with quarantines students and trying to also like figure out multiple pathways and then also trying to make sure the puzzle pieces go together and trying to make sure our core beliefs are matching our instruction and trying to teach and not assign. And then we just say, and I need to be paying attention to myself too. And I need to have a life where I'm not a good teacher. Like I need to also be all of the, be healthy yeah, in both mental and physical ways, or I can't be a good teacher. All of those things, there's just not enough time for us to do it all, right? Yeah. So where do we find, so for the teachers who are like that, and I'm probably in that camp this year for the first time in a long time. Like, I feel like it's my first year teaching. Uh, I moved to Canada. I have to teach all the subjects, which means I have to teach Canadian social studies, which um, eight months ago, I didn't know anything about. I'm teaching math for the first time in my life. Um, so I would be in this camp that you're describing like the overwhelmed teacher who's trying to be a good teacher, but knows that it's probably not gonna happen, at, at least not at first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I mean, can't you take, it, it's interesting to go back to what you just said about your teacher, some of your, some of those teachers that made a difference, right? Mm -hmm. Some of those teachers that made a difference in people's lives, in your life. It, like you said, nobody's doing the perfect thing all the time. Yeah. And so what we figure out is what's, what's a place that I do that I could be the teacher I want to be mm -hmm. and let, let's do that or let's find one one of the things that we always we say after writing project classes is we're overwhelmed by the number of good ideas that come mm -hmm. there's no way we can do everything so it's like choose a few mm -hmm. and try them out and then be in conversation with each other so you can so you can figure out what worked and that way you can layer on top the next year and that way you can layer on top the next year and there's because we can't do it all exactly right, um, which is which also means when we think about empathy, neither can our students. Oh, our students yeah. can also not put that that same amount of that all that passion and all those places across the day all day long. And so I wonder when we think about that is like, is it okay to build in some like breaks mm -hmm. and maybe we plan in cycles? of the kind of teaching that we do in different in different ways. So students even have breaks in some moments of, of learning. So they can, can be- Can you say more about that, my breaks? Sorry for interrupting. Can you say more about that? Like what breaks, what kind, what you mean by breaks? Yeah, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I, I probably can. This should probably be, this is one of those places that you were talking about. You're like, I'm not sure. I literally am just, I'm thinking myself when I plan language arts only, right? When I'm planning uh -huh. English, I will plan breaks in, in between longer projects. I know take a lot of like think time and work time and mentor texts and a lots of independent work and we can celebrate a success and we, we can't just jump right in, right? To the next one, we all need a little break. And so I might build like mini unit breaks where we can breathe. And um, in the quarantine time, I call them breather routines. 
routines of smart things that let teachers, like there's really smart things on the New York Times Learning Network. They're like breather routines, right? Like let somebody else, there's like this really great teachers there. Catherine Shulton does the work in the New York Times Learning Network in the language arts work. There's smart lessons that mm -hmm. I can use and they're breather routines for me while I get ready to, uh, my students can get ready to the next step. Or a breather routine might be, might be a moment when they get a choice novel. And we might like do some work around that before we jump into learning how to read something hard again. Our breather routine might be this moment where we get to pick, maybe we worked really hard on this argument work and this argument essay even and that went into the world. And then we might have a breather routine that's is like that lets us go into our notebook and find something we loved and mess around with it and say, where would we like this to go? That's still hard thinking, but it's still a breather routine. And so I'm imagining even like this idea, we need to give ourselves the understanding that across science and social studies and math and language arts, that students and teachers can't be working at 100% passion and energy and creativity every hour that flips like that mm -hmm. without some breather routines or without some like pauses that let me slow down in one area while I ramp up in another area and it goes in and out maybe. And it buys you that time to do a little bit more in-depth planning in between units to like recover, to gather more resources, to think about what went wrong and what went right and build off of successes, make adjustments to the next unit. Right. I mean, and, it, and because, and if you think about for students, if I'm deep in like a science inquiry mm -hmm. and we're you know, gathering some like data and observation, like their brain, it's, it might be okay then if, in social studies, that learning is looking a little different. In social studies, what we're doing is getting set for the next big like inquiry where we're just soaking in and building prior knowledge where mm -hmm. they don't have to do as much that they're like the, the work their brain is doing is soaking. Yeah. Because in science, in that moment, they were doing this like deep inquiry and then yeah. it can flip. Um, and I think that still gets us to really important places. Sometimes when we work with discipline teachers, we talk too about the difference between teaching skills, discipline skills, and then content. Mm -hmm. And that's what that, those big picture things are discipline skills, right? It's a way of thinking. It's a way of being and doing versus the, the content that I need to use. Those two things have to go together. Yeah. And, um, and there are, it's like we were talking earlier about bound skills and unbound skills. Like so, but that you might be like learning content, which is new content, right? If I'm gonna learn all about reconstruction, I'm learning all kinds of new content as a student, which means that maybe in another class, what I should be, what another part, maybe I'm working on the skills of reading maps and data, which is a little bit different than pouring lots of new content. My brain is working in different ways. Sure. I'm self-contained. So yeah, I love that idea. And it's just that idea that we can't, nobody's, perfect and there's not a perfect there's not one way to get to all of right there's lots of ways um i think one of the things that that maybe we want to continue to think about is it's another balance and it's that balance of like recognizing and understanding where we are and the truth in the world and the loss that everyone we have all gone through and 
the trauma in all kinds of ways that's still happening that feels very heavy mm-hmm. right now, not just feels heavy, but is heavy in so many ways. And also joy. Like, I mean, I don't want to ever, I don't want to lose that. Like, I am still one of those people that when somebody tells me they're going to be a teacher, I'm like, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. This is your first year. I'm still one of those people that you are entering one of the best professions that you can be in. And so I do think that there's still some joy that we need to make sure that we don't forget. And I would love to do that this year to still like remind ourselves that, that there's that emotional balance too Mm -hmm. of, extreme joy in teaching and what that is and not toxic positivity joy but like the real joy that's there as attached next to the real work of thinking and the loss and all of the pieces so I guess I I just like I guess I want to remember that too I like that the thing I want to remember is a little bit of toxic positivity and <laughs> um like a few weeks ago I was just I had a real walk because I'd realized that there was more that I didn't know how to do with this new kind of teaching than I had anticipated. And I was like, and I thought to myself in this moment of like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Like everything I'm teaching, it's not working the way I thought it would. I'm seconds away from a mutiny and pirates taking over the ship. Um, And I remember thinking to myself after school, like on the walk to the train, because we have a, I live in a city. I remember thinking like, okay, you're feeling the pain right now. That means you're about to learn something. That's what they always say. And then I was like, that's really obnoxious to think that kind of thought right now. I can't, I can't wrap my head around what I'm about to learn or how I'm about to grow. <laughs> and then the next, then I slept on it and the next day and I felt better. And then I did end up learning and growing. And it's just the mm-hmm. weirdest thing. Like we tell our students, like, if you're struggling with something, that means that you're about to learn. And I bet in their heads, they're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Because <laughs> pain doesn't feel like you're about to learn. Pain feels like pain. Mm-hmm. The thing I'm trying to tell myself now that's toxically positive is um, you feel horrible, sleep on it and see how you feel tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I- That's the thing I've learned from pandemic teaching is to sleep on it and see how you feel tomorrow. That's not toxic though, right? Like that's healthy. I think that toxic positivity is the part where we pretend that things aren't happening, that Mm. we pretend there's not hard moments, that we pretend that we haven't figured it all out, that we just say like, hey, just y'all, everything's great. Or that we're all- everything that's being said is wonderful or mm-hmm. that we're all, we're all okay all the time. And I think that's when it's toxic, right? Yeah. It's not toxic when we say, okay, wow, this was hard. And mm-hmm. I actually don't know what's happening. And instead we take a stance of maybe not, I'll learn from this tomorrow, but, <laughs> but like, maybe going all the way back to what you said about communities, maybe there's somebody I can ask about this. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm going to talk to somebody and say, hey, I'm having a hard time here. Can somebody help me? Yeah. It's that balance, Noah, between the um, teaching needs is both doing and space to think. And mm-hmm. we have to have both in order to make decisions in teaching um, because there's an awful lot of doing, but if we are only creating doing, then we don't have enough time to, to think about and reflect about what's working and what's not working and what are the possibilities. And 
we have to have a little bit of balance of both of those. leaving that Zoom call and feeling so much better about myself and about the future of the profession. And I hope you, you feel that way too. And it was so great for me to get to listen back to it again when I was editing this episode. I mean, how great is that idea of breather routines? I'd completely forgotten about that. Like I paused the editing process so that I could add it into my unit plans. Speaking of really cool teacher ideas, um, OWP teacher consultant Betsy Woods, she teaches in Milford High School, and she has created this thing called a student-led writing center. She and I run a writing group that meets every Saturday morning, and she was talking about it because apparently she's doing like a sort of professional development um, open house. So, if you are interested in starting a student-led writing center in your high school, Betsy Woods from Milford High School in Milford, Ohio, is hosting a small group for an informal discussion and tour, and that is on December 6th from noon to 1 p.m. at Milford High School. If you are an educator in Southwest Ohio who can get release time from your school on December 6th, be sure to contact Betsy Woods, and I have put her email in the show notes for this episode. And even if you can't make it, you should contact Betsy because she's an awesome teacher and her student-led writing centers are really, really popular because it's working. It's doing really cool stuff for the students in her school. If you're looking for other professional development opportunities, you should check out the show notes again for the ways that you can become involved with the Ohio Writing Project or the ways that you can get the Ohio Writing Project to visit your school. It's amazing, amazing stuff. And if you are doing something that other teachers should know about, you should contact me. And that information's also in the show notes because right now we're putting together the interviews for this season and I'd love to talk to you. And speaking of you, thank you for tuning in to write answers. Thank you.